You're listening to the Jewel City Podcast. You can join us Sundays at 10 a.m. in person or online, or Wednesdays at 6.30 p.m. In this podcast, we're going through the books 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John with Linda Sims. How's, how's everyone tonight? Good? All right. We're in session three, studying the three books of John, John 1, 2, and 3, strengthening our relationship with God. And our teacher is Dr. Tony Evans. Session three, we're going to look at uh, the last part of chapter two and most of chapter three. Let's, here's our opening question. Can someone describe an instance where you suffered unmet expectations? Maybe you wanted Legos for your birthday as a kid and got socks instead. Or perhaps you hoped to get a car when you turned 16 and you had to ride a bicycle to school instead. So anything like that for anyone? I couldn't think of anything for myself to share with you. But in this session, we're going to look at the confident expectation we have in God, knowing that the future is for sure, that, and knowing that will fundamentally change the way we live now, right now. So that's what we're going to look at. And it asked how you felt as a result of those expectations. And what would have changed about our attitudes if we knew they were, for sure they would be met. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. Here's our text, beginning in chapter 2, verse 28. Now, little children, abide in him so that when he appears, we may have confidence and not shrink away from him in shame at his coming. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone also who practices righteousness is born of him. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins and in him, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. Verse 9, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another." Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Do not be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoever has the world's goods and sees his brother in need and closes his heart against him, how does the love of God abide in him? Little children, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for 
God is greater than our heart and knows all things. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. And whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. And now we're ready to see our video. Expectations affect behavior. It was not too long ago that a former president of the United States called me and asked could he come and have lunch. We had become friends and uh, he just wanted to reconnect. Well, in anticipation of his visit, a lot of house cleaning started going on. <laughs> Straightened the desk, organized the papers, rearranged a little bit of the furniture got the cook at the church to do one of the more special meals, all because someone special was coming over and I wanted to be at my best when they arrived because expectations affect behavior. If you expect to be a doctor, then that means you're gonna to go to college. Then you're gonna to go to medical school because expectations affect what you do. Well. God wants to give us that principle as well. And he does it through John. In 1 John, this is what the apostle says. Beloved, in verse two, now we are the children of God and it does not yet appear what we will be. We know that when he appears, we will be like him because we will see him as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. God is interested in our purity. He is interested in our righteousness. And he says, if you can have an expectation of you meeting the Lord, this special person who's coming to meet you when he calls us home to be with him or when he raptures us to be with him, then the expectation should affect behavior. He says the expectation should produce purity in our lives, just as you are pure. He brings two concepts together. We are pure in our state. He wants us to be pure in our standing. We are pure in our position. He wants us to be pure in our practice. And to help us along, he wants to create an expectation that affects our behavior. When an athlete can expect that they're gonna be drug tested, it changes their mind about the use of drugs, or it should, because expectation affects behavior. What John wants to do is he wants us to understand that the purpose of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ is to move us away from sin and to make our practices acceptable to a holy God. That's why he goes from this expectation into the question of, sin and righteousness. Listen to what he says. He says in verse six, no one who abides in him sins. No one who sins has seen or known him. Little children, make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. He goes on in verse nine and says, no one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides within him. He talks about the fact that when Jesus Christ and his people, his children, are in intimate relationship, that's what the word abiding means, it means close proximity, then while we never become sinless, we wind up sinning less because we're in such affectionate, intimate relationship with our Savior that he draws us away from evil. He says that even the believer who enters into the practice of unrighteousness has joined forces with the devil. So the question on the floor is, who do we want to be aligned with? 
Do we want to be aligned with an intimate relationship with heaven through Christ or an intimate relationship with hell through the devil? Because he says even little children can enter into this practice of not abiding and therefore the result of a lack of intimacy. When you and I grow in our relationship to Christ because we are anticipating his return, Jesus Christ wants us to anticipate closeness with him so vibrantly, so dynamically, that being dressed in all white for the bride and being, uh, being dressed to the tee for the groom, uh, all of that planning and programming goes in motion because we want to be acceptable to the person we're in union with. God wants us to be acceptable to him. And since sin separates us from him, we want to sin less because we don't want that separation. And when that happens, he draws closer to us and we draw closer to him. Now, one of the ways that that closeness is enhanced, he says, is through the practice of love. He goes on to say that those who are, are, are living in righteousness love one another, verse 11 says. So by practicing love, and love is the decision to compassionately, righteously, and responsibly seek the well-being of another. When you are seeking to love others, then you are actually drawing closer to the Lord. And when you're loving others and therefore drawing closer to the Lord, the net result is that you are becoming more righteous through that process. So look how they all connect. Loving others, draws you closer, draws you, drawing you closer means you're being more righteous. Being more righteous means you're experiencing more of his love and his presence in your life and more victory over the sin. So it's a circle of victory that God wants us to be a part of because of our hope and expectation of drawing near to him. Now he goes on to say how he wants this love to be manifested. He says, I don't just want you to love in word, verse 18, but little children. He says, let us not love with word or with tongue, but in deed and truth. In other words, let's have a love we can see, not just a love we can say. Let's love with our life, not merely with our lips, with our walk, not merely with our talk. He wants us to demonstrate through acts of goodwill, good works and kindness, the love of God. And when that love is demonstrated, you know, when you look at television, you don't want just sound, you want sight. You need sight and sound to get a full picture. A full picture of God's love is when there's sight and sound, when you declare it and when you say it, but also when you act on what you say. You know, it's easy to be drawn away from the love of God. Ask Peter, you know, in Matthew chapter 16, one moment, Jesus is saying about Peter, Peter, you're a stone because you proclaimed your faith in me. A few verses later, he says, you're in league with the devil because you set your mind on things that are not in league with God. In the matter of a few verses, he's drawn away from abiding and enters into league with the devil. So even disciples can switch channels real quick when they depart from a relationship with Jesus Christ and a focus on him, his return and an intimacy with him. So what is he after? He is after a relationship with you and I that expects him at any moment. Because I remember growing up, my father would say, Tony, I want you to clean the house and I want it to be clean before I get home. Dad, when are you coming home? Oh, I'm not gonna tell you. It could be uh, quickly or it could take a while. Just make sure the house is clean before I get home. Well, when he left me with a date I couldn't specify, that mean I couldn't procrastinate. I had to jump on that thing and get things cleaned up right away. That's what God wants us to do. He wants us to get things cleaned up right away because we don't know when he's coming or when he's gonna call us to him. And since either one could happen at any time, he says, don't allow sin to dominate your life. And that means we have to keep short accounts with God. That we have to, when we see evil rising in our heart or in our practices, acknowledge it, confess it, repent of it, and return to the intimacy so that relationship is not broken, so that God's provisions are not lost. And what are some of those provisions? 
what he tells us. He says, we will have confidence before the Lord that whatever we ask, we receive from him. Wow. Do you know the good news of that? Intimacy results in answered prayer. He answers the prayers of the righteously intimate. If you are seeking to live for him, please him because of your expectation for him, then you can communicate with him and you can expect to receive from him intimate answers to your deepest needs because he's listening carefully to you because you and he are just so close. Expectations affect behavior. Are you expecting to please him? Are you expecting to hear great words of commendation from him? Are you expecting to get answered prayers from him? If those are your expectations, draw near to him. He will definitely draw near to them. Good again, wasn't it? Tony talked about expectations that set our behavior. We're going to act in keeping with what we expect the consequences are going to be. Whether we're merging onto a busy highway or we're trying to time dinner correctly, get it all done at the same time, um, what we expect to happen determines how we're going to behave and get there. So in this session, Dr. Tony Evans outlined how expectations can and will affect our relationship to God. So here's the first question. How did he set up this session? He said someone important was coming. Yeah, the president was coming. A former president, he was going to have a meeting with him. And so how did Tony's expectation that the president's coming for lunch affect his behavior? He cleaned the house, yes, he got a good cook, he organized things, he got it all in order. Okay, let's look at 1 John 3, 1 to 3, and um, this is the question to think about as we look at this, these next three verses. How should our expectation of God's return in the future affect our behavior in the present? So here's the verses. See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God, and such we are. For this reason, the world does not know us because it did not know him. Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not appeared as yet what we will be. We know that when we, he appears, we will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And everyone who has this hope fixed on him purifies himself just as he is pure. So according to those three verses, how should our expectation of God's return in the future affect our behavior in the present? Purify ourselves. That's exactly right. What does John remind his readers about their status before God? We're his children. We are his children. He tells us that. So let's consider this. Um, Everything that follows in chapter 3 spins on the truth that God views us as his children. The admonitions in 1 John can often feel harsh, and I thought this, be without sin. You know, don't sin, he tells us that. Or if you sin, you're of the devil. We heard that today, didn't we? As we read those verses, however, we, we have to keep perspective. We are God's children, aren't we? So how does the truth that God views you as his child affect your perspective of yourself? And how should it impact our decisions day to day? We want to please him, don't we? And, and does he tell us those things because he wants to hurt us? No. When we correct our children, it's because we love them. And so he's telling us this because he wants to keep us from heartache and he wants us he wants relationship with us. Okay, in this session, Tony cast 1 John 3, verses 2 to 3, as giving us the right expectation. The expectation is one day we're going to see God, and we're going to see him face to face. Have you thought about that? Have you thought about that? How does that impact you right now at this moment? Better straighten up, Bruce says. All righty, and I agree, we better straighten up. Straighten up and fly right. 
He's talking about me. Okay, it's easy to think of the Christian life as just one of the many things we have to check off our daily to-do list. But our God is a very, very real God, isn't he? And one day, we're going to stand in front of him. So what impact could the knowledge that one day you will see God have on your attitude? We have to practice the very first session we learned, walk in the light, because light is a revealer, and we all sin, we all fall short. So, but as he reveals it, we confess it, and restore, repent, just as Tony said at the end of this lesson today, and restore our relationship with him. And, it's, and his work in us will continue. I mean, I've not arrived, and I don't think any one of us in here, we, he's going to continue that work in us until the day we stand in front of him. Let's look at these next, uh, and thank you for those. Those are good points, George. Let's look at 1 John, the next six verses, starting with verse 4, chapter 3. Everyone who practices sin, now this is practicing. This is means it's not a one, it's, you continue in it. You, instead of repenting, you, you continue in it. Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness, and sin is lawlessness. You know that he appeared in order to take away sins. And in him, Jesus, there is no sin. No one who abides in him sins. Which sounds a little opposite what we said, but that means you don't, you don't keep continuing in it. No one who sins has seen him or knows him. Little children, remember who we are. Make sure no one deceives you. The one who practices righteousness is righteous, just as he is righteous. The one who practices sin is of the devil, for the devil has sinned from the beginning. The Son of God appeared for this purpose to destroy the works of the devil. No one who is born of God practices sin because his seed abides in him and he cannot sin because he is born of God. By this, the children of God and the children of the devil are obvious. Anyone who does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor the one who does not love his brother. What's John's main point in this passage? Well, they don't keep continuing in it. Yeah, they don't practice it. Exactly. If we continue to sin, we're associating ourselves not with God, but with the devil. Is anyone in here wants to do that? <laughs> I don't. <laughs> I don't. So remember, now remember, we're talking about God's children. We're talking about believers, okay? Why can John make the statement that persistent sinners relate to the devil and not God? The devil is sin. Here's, here's what Tony said, because he's back to expectations. The expectation of one day seeing God should change how we live today. It should, shouldn't it? We're going to stand right in front of him, and it should affect how we live today. But, um, okay, so let's look here in verse 4. You can look in your Bible. I'm not going to pull it back, back up. John uses the term anomia, which is often translated iniquity or lawlessness. Jew, Jewish thought associated the concept of sin. The Greek word was, and I'm, I'm not, I don't know Greek, so excuse my, <laughs> excuse how I pronounce. I'm going to say hamartia. They associated um, sin with that word, with um, the anomia, lawlessness, because it typically involved disobedience to the Mosaic law. But John has more in view here. He equated the practice of sin with the condition of lawlessness. That would be being disobedient, wouldn't it? Which he describes as a characteristic of the children of the devil. That was in verse 10. In other words, the practice of lawlessness reveals someone is of the devil. With these terms, John distinguishes the, Christians, the Christian ethic from that of the false teachers of his day who believed they could engage in regular sinful activity without losing fellowship with God. And here, John teaches that the practice of sin 
evidences a condition of lawlessness which characterizes those who are of the devil. So because of this, followers of Christ, we have to take sin seriously and be diligent about putting it to death by the grace of God. So when he shows us, we've got to be diligent and deal with it. Confess it to him. Okay, if we believe that one day we'll see God and stand before him and yet persist in living in opposition to God's character, we prove, we prove that we don't expect to ever actually have to face our God, right? I think that day's never going to come if we just keep... And, and that's very real and an easy temptation to fall into. Why would, is it easy to fall into a lifestyle that doesn't expect to answer to God? Why might that be easy to do? I hope I can summarize that. <laughs> he said, we, as a Christian, we need to have remorse whenever the Lord shows us, and we need to respond in humility and meekness to, um, to live the way, a pure life. As, as this passage has talked to us about. Here's what Tony said here. Sometimes it just feels like it's so far away, so far into the future that we just get caught up in the day-to-day, -day, just doing the daily things that we do day in and day out, and we don't think that those things, those choices, are going to matter too much. Do you agree? She said, we, don't, we can't see him. It's not like I can look at my husband every morning when I get up and there's my husband. We, God is spirit and he's very real, but we don't see him face to face. And so we walk by faith, not by sight. I mean, I know, I know right here in my heart, he's real. I know it. And, that, and that's faith. That's something he's birthed in me and he's birthed in you because when you received him, the Holy Spirit has come to live in us and to teach us. But but we don't see him like I see Paula or I see Mary or I see Pastor. Um, so that's part of the problem with why that happens to us. Okay, so here we're this next one. Um, John makes the point that we most certainly can expect to answer to our God. And Tony illustrated it with athletes who know they're going to be tested for drugs. If they know there's going to be a drug test and they expect to be tested, so it changes their behavior. So let's look a little bit about Jesus' return. We're going to start in the same chapter, Pastor used Sunday morning, Matthew 24. I told him I was going to piggyback on what he said. He said, that's quite all right. Matthew 24, verse 23. Then if anyone says to you, behold, here is the Christ, or there he is, do not believe him. For false Christ and false prophets will arise and will show great signs and wonders so as to mislead, if possible, even the elect. Behold, I've told you in advance. So if they say to you, behold, he's in the wilderness, don't go out. Or behold, he's in the inner rooms, don't believe them. For just as the lightning comes from the east and flashes even to the west, so will the coming of the Son of Man be." Wherever the corpse is, there the vultures will gather. But immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. These are Jesus' words and I've capitalized that because it was capitalized in my Bible because Jesus is quoting Old Testament prophets. Isaiah, Joel, Amos, let me see, and Ezekiel and Zephaniah. All of those prophets said what's capitalized there in that verse. Verse 30, and then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. And there he's quoting Daniel. Verse 31, and he will send forth his angels with a great trumpet, and they will gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of the sky to the other. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. Before I go to the next verse, that capitalized in verse 31, whenever the, uh, in the Old Testament, when Moses and the people waited at the foot of Mount Sinai 
to meet with God, they, there were great trumpets. The Old Testament tells you there was a great trumpet sound, and it kept getting louder and louder and louder. So he's quoting again, there'll be another trumpet when he comes. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him, and he will separate them from one another as the shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will put the sheep on his right and the goats on the left. And then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. I don't think this is scriptural, but I had someone explain to me the difference between sheep and goats once. The goats keep saying, but <laughs> the sheep don't. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, truly I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even the least of them, you did it to me. Two women will be grinding at the mill, one will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert, for you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, that if the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming at an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave whom his master finds so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a great long time and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him and in an hour when he, which he does not know and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. And that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. What does Jesus expect of his disciples in light of his impending return? To be ready. Remain on the alert. Be ready. Because he's coming at a time, an hour, we don't think he's going to. And I think, and I know Pastor does, it's closer than we think. Yes, I like what his dad said. That's a good way to get him moving. What difference should it make in our lives knowing that Jesus isn't staying away forever? It should make us want to be ready. It should encourage us to get ready and remain ready, right? Believe in faith and take him at his word, she said. Let's look at Matthew 25. Then the kingdom of heaven will be comparable to ten virgins who took their lamps and went out to meet the bridegroom. Five of them were foolish and five were prudent. For when the foolish took their lamps, they took no oil with them. But the prudent took oil in flask along with their lamps. Now, while the bridegroom was delaying, they all got drowsy and began to sleep. But at midnight there was a shout, Behold the bridegroom, come out to meet him. Then all those virgins rose and trimmed their lamps. The foolish said to the prudent, Give us some of your oil, for our lamps are going out. But the prudent answered, no, there will not be enough for us and you too. Go instead to the dealers and buy some for yourselves. And while they were going away to make the purchase, the bridegroom came. And those who were ready went in with him to the wedding feast, and the door was shut. Later, the other virgins also came, saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. But he answered, truly, I say to you, I do not know you. Be on the alert then, for you do not know the day nor the hour. For it is just like a man about to go on a journey who called his own slaves and entrusted his possessions to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, each according to his own ability, and he went on his journey. 
Immediately, the one who had received the five talents went and traded with them and gained five more. In the same manner, the one who had received the two talents gained two more. But he who received the one talent went away, dug a hole in the ground, and hid his master's money. Not long after, not after a long, no, try again. Now, after a long time, the master of those slaves came and settled accounts with them. The one who had received the five talents came up and brought five more talents, saying, Master, you entrusted five talents to me. See, I've gained five more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You were faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. Also, the one who had received the two talents came up and said, Master, you entrusted two talents to me. See, I've gained two more talents. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful slave. You are faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Enter into the joy of your master. And the one also who had received the one talent came up and said, Master, I knew you to be a hard man. Whoops. Reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. And I was afraid and went away and hid your talent in the ground. See, you have what is yours. But the master answered and said to him, you wicked, lazy slave, you knew that I reap where I did not sow and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have put my money in the bank and on my arrival, I would have received my money back with interest. Therefore, take away the talent from him and give it to the one who has 10 talents. For to everyone who has, more shall be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who does not have, even what he does have shall be taken away. Throw out the worthless, worthless slave into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Question. What trouble do the irresponsible servants run into? Judgment, she said. Think of the virgins with the oil the lamps. What trouble did they run into? They didn't have oil, did they? And, and they weren't prepared. So while they went out to buy more, the bridegroom came, didn't he? Why do they end up behaving the way they do? They didn't prepare. They all were drowsy. Did you notice that? All the virgins were drowsy, all 10, and they all began to fall asleep. The foolish ones were not prepared with extra oil. They weren't expecting him when he, at that time, were they? And so because they weren't expecting him, they weren't ready. What should be our motivating factor for faithful service to Jesus in the here and now? What should motivate us? Not knowing, we, we don't know when he's coming. He could come tonight, couldn't he? He could come in the next hour. How about just the fact that we know that he gave his life for us? Amen. Not just to be prepared because we want to be right when he gets here. We should have a desire to be right because of what he already did. Here's what I said. He is coming back and we are going to see him face to face. But what we do now shows if we really believe that, and it speaks volumes of our desire to please him and of our love for him. Just what Pastor said. Shows our love. Shows our love. God's children fall into patterns of sinful behavior because we lose sight of the fact that he isn't staying away forever. Our expectations are wrong. And, you know, maybe our love gets a little lukewarm. You know, we get kind of like the frog and the, we just get kind of used to what's going on and we don't, we don't keep our love for him fresh. So, what can we do today to modify our expectations regarding the return of our God? What can we do today? Nope, from the word. Here's what I said. He could come back now anytime. He's coming soon, so let's get ready. What he said, we need to work at it. How could that impact our life today, tomorrow, or this week? Here's what I said. 
No more excuses. No more procrastinating. No more putting off. What I need to confess, what I need to give, what I need to memorize, who I need to talk to, who, whoever I need to share Jesus, start doing it. Start. I need to start doing it. I'm not preaching to you. I'm preaching to myself. It, it is, it's not about us, is it? It's about him. It's about him. Um, when we're doing those things, it makes our life better every day. Yes, it does. Every day. It's joy, sweet fellowship with him. And Tony said, um, while we're never, we're never going to get to the point where we never, ever sin, but we'll, we will sin less often as we have sweet fellowship with him. Okay, here's, here's how um, abiding in Jesus, focusing on your relationship with him through prayer. I mean, I already told you last time when I don't spend time with the Lord, I'm mean and cranky. So, um, but when I am in the Lord's presence, here's, it affects everyone differently. So don't think because I have that up there, that's how you're going to respond when you're in the Lord's presence. But I cry. I I, I do sense his presence when I spend quiet time with him. And he leads, and you will too. And I have a peace. And I walk away from that time with him. And there's a love that's not of me that flows through me to others when I've spent time with him. And that's, I mean, that's the working that George is talking about is just being in, his, being in his sweet presence, loving on him and letting him love on you. And it changes us. What will happen to our expectations and therefore our actions if we focus our attention on him and abiding in him? Okay, she said we'll live. He's the way, the truth, and the life, and his light will shine out of us. And it will. And here's... Her answer is probably better than mine, but here's what I had. I know he's coming, but more importantly, he has already come. He's present right now. And um, because I have more of Jesus, he has more of me. What do we stand to gain? Eternal life. Here were some of the, in that scripture. Can you think of anything else he talked about? What did he say about prayer? We can pray effectively. Here's a few things that said, 1 John 2, 28, we'll have confidence that it's appearing. We will be like him because we will see him just as he is. And he talked about answered prayer. He answers our prayers. And we'll see that. What do we stand to lose if we don't? I put intimate relationship in alignment with him along with the loss maybe those above provisions, might not be so confident as his appearing. Um, I didn't go so far as to say we would lose eternal life because we're his children, but we will lose rewards. <laughs> we will lose some rewards. Okay. First John three eleven to 15. For this is the message which you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. Not as Cain, who was of the evil one and slew his brother. And for what reason did he slay him? Because his deeds were evil and his brothers were righteous. Don't be surprised, brethren, if the world hates you. We know that we have passed out of death into life because we love the brethren. He who does not love abides in death. Everyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. What does John challenge us to do? He's highlighting another way we grow in our fellowship with uh, the Lord, and that is loving other believers. That's what we've been talking about all along. So here's, I mean, it's really, really love them. Not just say I love you, but do the things that, the actions, the behavior that shows the love. And what's the either-or situation in this section? We can either love our fellow believers and grow closer to God, or what's the other one? Grow closer to the devil and farther away from God. Okay. Christians, you know, we're all fallen people. And if we're honest, some people are just harder to get along with. 
It's true. Sometimes I'm hard to get along with. John, but the message John has for us is simple. We must love our brothers and sisters in Christ. And so here's the logic, John. Why is it crucial that we love each other, our fellow believers? We can't hate something God loves and still be growing in relationship with God. He's, he is love, isn't he? That's, that's who he is. We have the responsibility each day to make choices to show love to people, but little piddling things can pull us away. And isn't that the draw of the world? <laughs> they kind of pull us away. What does this say about our attitude toward God? It's crucial that we love our fellow believers. Okay, we're trying to trace out what um, John's logic, that it's crucial to love our fellow believers and loving our fellow believers that attitude, what does that attitude say about our attitude toward God? And that's what this abiding is. Just That's why we're trying to strengthen our relationship. Who we focus on, who we spend time with, that's who we're going to become like. And so if, our, if we aren't wanting to spend time with the Lord, that kind of reveals a lack in us, doesn't it? It does. So our response to this shows shows our reveals our love for the Lord and it, how much we really want to have relationship with him when we neglect the Holy Spirit we fail I mean anything I mean God is good all the time and if I abide in him there will be good things flow out of me out of that relationship with him okay let me see here all right, but um, John goes on to say in this, his idea is bigger than just um, what we just talked about. Um, what does love do? What is love willing to do? Real love. What did Christ do for us? He gave his life up, didn't he? And so that's what... That's really what this love is that the Lord's asking us, trying to encourage us to do, to love our brother, is to be able to, like Christ gave his life for us, we should be willing to give our lives for our brothers and sisters and for caring for their needs. Um, love with our life, not merely with our talk. So here's, can you describe a time when you were on the receiving end of love from a fellow believer? Tammy said she's gone through a difficult time. I think you all know that, many of you do, and the love she's been shown by this church has been amazing to her. What difference, uh, okay, Tammy told us how it impacted her, and I think, Tammy, I could probably say you've learned that God's love is very real for you, haven't you, because of the love believers have shown you. And... Um, does it make a difference in our lives to be loved rather than hated? Yeah. I've, I've been hurt a time or two. It doesn't feel good, does it? It does not feel good at all when you're treated badly. You get discouraged, disheartened. You feel unworthy of love. What obstacles might stand in the way for you personally to love your fellow believers? Okay, I put up lack of time. Pride, I don't think I have that one. But yes, pride. It is true. I put up a couple more. Here's money. Sometimes you think you don't have the resources. Sometimes you think, maybe it's not supposed to be me. Maybe it's the person sitting beside me is supposed to be the one to do this. Or fearful, which I guess would be pride. And I, and I think we talked about these in the first session. And as soon as I put it down, the Lord said, those are lies from the enemy. They are. Every single one of them is alive from them. So I said, okay, Lord, what does your word say about this? Lack of time. Therefore, be careful how you walk, not as unwise men, but as wise, making the most of your time because the days are evil. Every one of us have 24 hours in every single day, and I waste more time than I should. So I, it's not that I don't have the time. I have the time. This, this is what he spoke to me. He said, don't listen to the lies of the enemy. These four things in red, those are lies from the enemy. Lack of resources. Now, this was in Philippians, and these are the words of Paul. 
And, uh, and I've used the last part of this verse a number of times, but I, so I want to talk about it for a minute. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit, which is increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied. So the Philippian, the church of Philippi had met Paul's needs. And then he goes on to say, and he said, I have everything I need, but, and you're the ones that have been helping me, and I'm encouraging you to continue to help because um, how it's going to bless you when you give. And then this is the verse I've used lots of times, and my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. But notice what it followed. They gave to Paul. They gave to Paul and supplied they gave out of their own need, they gave to Paul, and in turn, the Lord supplied all their need. So it, he's given me everything I need to help someone or to bless someone else. So that's a lie from the enemy too. He gives to me so I can give. And I said to someone tonight, you know, give out of what you have, but probably better than you think. Okay, I'm not sure I'm, su I'm supposed to be the one. Maybe it's, maybe it's Paula supposed to do this, not Linda. <laughs> Here's what the Lord said about that. Therefore, to one who knows the right thing to do and does not do it, to him it is sin. And whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Amen. So I can't very well tell Paula... Paul, he's telling you to do that. <laughs> he's not telling me to do that. If I know about it, he's talking to me, isn't he? And sometimes I'm a little shy. I guess that's rooted in pride. The fear of man brings a snare. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So, based on these four things, what obstacles might stand in my way for me to personally love Fellow believers, none. <laughs> There's no obstacles, are there? And then yesterday, this devotional was sent to me by someone in this church. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. That verse is right out on the wall in our cafe. Every day, whether we're at home, in the workplace, or out running errands, we're called to be the light of Christ in darkness. Because of this, let's rise ready, right where we are with what we have, passionate for the cause of Christ. Rising ready may mean buying lunch for a friend who just lost a job offering to do some shopping for a neighbor trapped at home with a screaming newborn, or taking the time to listen to a heartbroken friend whose spouse was just diagnosed with cancer. It may mean going through your closet and giving clothes to the local shelter. When you rise ready, you will experience God in a new way as you discover the pure joy of following his lead and blessing others. How should John's argument that we can't claim to be in fellowship with God and hate his children affect our approach to other believers? Should it? We've talked about this. I'm just going to go ahead and put it up. It should bring conviction to our hearts, and we should be aligning our behavior with God's word, shouldn't we? Let's go ahead and read this scripture here. I'm pretty close to the end. Okay. Um, I had verses on that last one about putting off and putting on in 1 Corinthians 13 where it talks about love. We can, you can read that. What love is not uh, boastful, doesn't seek its own, what we've been talking about. But let's look back at our text. We will know by this that we are of the truth and will assure our heart before him. And whatever our heart condemns us, for we will assure our heart before him in whatever our heart condemns us. For God is greater than our heart and knows all things. 
Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Now, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commandments and do the things that are pleasing in his sight. This is his commandment, that we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us. The one who keeps his commandments abides in him, and he in him. We know by this that he abides in us by the spirit whom he has given us. So what does John admit might end up condemning us? Look back at the, what did he say? Our heart, exactly. Our hearts. And what's John's answer to those doubts when our heart condemns us? God is greater than our heart. God is greater than our heart. What kind of hope does it give you to know that God transcends even our guilt and shame? I looked up a verse because I thought it should give us a lot of hope, but here, I like this verse. A hope that doesn't disappoint. Romans 5, 5. And how should that truth affect the way we live? Conduct ourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Philippians 1, 27. And when the day eventually comes, we see God face to face. What will you look to for confidence? God's character or your own misgivings? Going to look to God's character. Here's the last word. We are still sinners. We are God's children. This is on your handouts. And God is calling us to himself. We are going to see him, and on that day, we'll be like him, pure, holy, and thoroughly loved. Thoroughly loved. He loves us. What can we do this week to continue to build a relationship with the God who calls you his child? Well, there's a number of suggestions on your handout, and there they are. You can write out this phrase. There's a way to connect with someone. There's a suggestion there, a fellow believer who's in need. Can pray, praying for each other. Probably one of the most important things to do. Spend time rereading the words of Jesus. We can write out a verse and memorize it. So here's the verse, 1 John 3.16. We know love by this, that he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. And there were verses from each of the two previous sessions. Here's the one from session one. And there's the one from session two. So that concludes tonight's lesson. I really thank everyone for your participation. I do want to ask, I know pastor has the last two times, is there anyone here who has never received Christ and you want to? I think we're all brothers and sisters. Amen. Put your hands together and thank Linda. All right. Amen. Stand with me, would you? Excellent um, class tonight. And let me tell you what makes it excellent. When you have an instructor that has prepared, when you have classroom participation, and third, when we have short, sweet response. It keeps it flowing, okay? Um, I want to share a special moment I had. What we're doing tonight is growth. And oftentimes... We can walk by something or drive by something numerous times and never see it. And about 18 years ago, I brought Bill and Rita Lambert in here. There was nothing in here. And I shared the vision God had given me. There was no road, no nothing. And Bill and Rita bought into that vision. And they wanted to buy two lots before anything was here. They'd just taken my word for it. And Rita wanted to plant a tree where Sapphire Lane turns off of Jewel City Boulevard. So her husband and I dug a big hole and they bought a maple tree, I think it's maple, and it was about that big around. It was about six or seven feet tall and it had roots about like my finger. And Bill and I dug a pad and we poured the concrete there, and neither one of us is concrete men. And we put a bench on that concrete pad, and that tree's behind that, or next to it. And that's been all those years ago. Well, we took that old bench, Monday, and threw it in the garbage. And I'd ordered a new one back in February, 
that I'm picking up tomorrow in the Amish country, and it says, in memory of Bill and Rita Lambert. So when we went over to get that bench yesterday, we took my garden hose and my power washer and hooked it up, and we power washed that concrete pad. And I had a moment, and I told Steve, and Pastor Aaron was with me, and I put my hand on that tree. And I'm telling you, I'm not weird. You might think I am, but I'm not weird. And I could feel life in that tree. And I said, I couldn't believe it. It's that big around. And it must be 40 or 50 feet in the air. And this started coming to me that when we planted it, the roots were about that long and like my finger. And now, George, you can see the root, the roots above ground as far as from you to me. And that thing is that big around. And that is what we're doing here tonight. It don't happen overnight. It is longevity. It is putting your hand to the plow and saying, Lord, I'm going to grow. And I'll tell you, this class is awesome. And we need it. And we need each other. May God bless you. I'll see you Sunday morning. Thank you for listening to the Jewel City Podcast. 